Hi, you're listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters for week ending 31st of March. We're on Triple R every morning from 6 to 9am, broadcast live from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on this podcast, Nat Harris shows us her freshly minted driver's license photo and Dr. Jen takes a closer look at caffeine and the science of how it actually works. Writer and all-round force Murray Carty returns to tell us about the latest season of Better Offset, eulogies for the living and dead. Digger gives us a guided tour of the International Flower and Garden Show. Also, 10 years on from the first epic exhibition, Melbourne Now is back on in Melbourne Now at Fed Square in the painfully poised estate. Ewan McCoyan holds a hand through the hundreds of projects and events that he's curated for free at NGV. Nat also announces the commencement of Soup Season with a live taste test and we're joined by UK comedian Sean Walsh, who is in town and back out of bed. Woo! <sighs> That's right. Triple R. I received something in the mail that uh, I want to talk about, which I had kind of spoken about earlier, but just circling back quickly to the e-scooters, because mm. like I mentioned, I was in Adelaide and I rode it f- like pretty much for the two weeks I was there. It was excellent. Uh, but Do you remember what they're called in Adelaide? Or I think it was the same. Okay. It was Neuron. Yep. 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 The Neuron scooters. But I don't think anyone knows where to ride them. Because I couldn't get a, like I sampled maybe oh, not many people maybe sampled five people max of like where are we supposed to be riding these on the footpath or the road? But I think that that provides some clarity mm-hmm. with the news headline. I interpreted it that they were going up. You could now travel at sixty kilometers an hour, but it is because they could only go fifteen k's in Adelaide. So I, oh, but the roads they can use. Exactly. So that provides some clarity because I ride my bike. So I was riding on all the roads in the bike lane and um, I was getting tooted like a maniac. But I can't – I'm riding them on the footpath seems so dangerous. Yes. I, 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 and I believe it may be illegal as well. Illegal. So where, where are we supposed to be riding these things? Maybe in the gutter, maybe that little <laughs> band, like the six Under inches. Trees only, yeah. yeah. And reducing the age limit. Now I'm just going on an e-scooter rant. Reducing the age limit to 16. I mean, I don't know about that. They're riding it already, but... I was at the supermarket the other day and I had to um, get a staff member to confirm I was over 18 to buy matches and a clicky thing for the stove. That's crazy. I know. So they're not letting, uh, like, 16-year-olds buy matches and lighters, yet they're letting them ride e-scooters on the footpath. What is going on? Were you – I know this is an old trope, but were you flattered or do you think they w- w- had to no, switch their brain on? No, it's nothing to do with, like, assessing the way that I looked yeah. or age at all. It was purely, like, a prompt in the system where everyone would get it. So <laughs> would you use this if you were – so now that you're 16, you can use it. Would that excite you as a 16-year-old? Absolutely. All I wanted was an electric scooter when yeah. I was – all you want is anything motorised, I think, when you're a teenager. And the – in Adelaide, are there heaps of them? Did you oh, have everywhere? And I, I would say, like most people I knew, that's how they were getting around. It was so convenient, I suppose. Yeah, it's so convenient. I'd really recommend it. But um, 
Speaking of vehicles driving things, I finally received my new license oh, in the post, wonderful. which was quite exciting. It took me a while to realise because someone who's been trying to do a bit of a, a letter campaign to get people sending letters again, I, I didn't check. I barely checked <laughs> mm-hmm. the letterbox. So I received it, you know, maybe a week or two ago. But I'm not sure whether you remembered, I was like really invested in getting a great photo because I, yeah, I went the 10-month license. 10 year? 10 year, 10 year. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. 10 years and I was kind of um, picked at the post. I, I was uh, relying on a line at Vic Roads that I would have time to glow up in the bathroom between paying for the licence yep. and filling out the form and, and taking the but photo. But it was a speedy process instead. It was incredibly efficient. It was... Yeah, it was disappointing because I had big plans for my hair and face. And so kind of the big reveal, I opened the letter to see, to, you know, I'm to so see excited. the photo. I, I hope in- you were happy with it. I am not. Look, it could <laughs> definitely be worse. I look like I'm on the way to a witch's meeting, like a coven. I look like a less glamorous version of Nicole Kidman in Practical Magic. So, yeah, like I look... Witchy. Anyway, may, it was it was see? a disappointing result. Someone wants to see. Yeah, you oh, want sorry. to see? I yeah, it's okay. It's a disappointing result. But, that's a beautiful photo. Oh, that's very nice. But that's okay because my passport is also expired. So I had no valid ID before this. So I do get a second shot at it. I get the passport. and Well, like you can I, make up for it with the passport. I can make up for it. Like I feel like you've triumphed. Already. Oh, no. Do you want to see it, Daniel? Yeah. And I was wondering, how do you feel about your license photos? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was laughing at the photo. The, I don't know why. Why do you think it's witchy? I think just because it's like it's so pronounced like my <laughs> pale skin and hair. I don't know. It's just it's the lips. I just feel like it's a real 90s an witch inc- vibe. An incredibly <laughs> successful photo. See, I feel like I've been constantly sort of a, how do I say this, like, um, yeah, d- disappointed. I mean, not yeah. that I'm, I'm going in with any great expectations at all because I know what the reality is, but yeah. I think my first one was after a, an all-nighter at university, and I, so I looked okay. perplexed yep. and just defeated. Yes! <laughs> and this is kind of how I carried myself by the licence for a long time. And on this one, I seem quite the opposite. I seem absolutely blissful. <laughs> like I've just woken up and it's snowing outside. Wow! And I, there's a hotel with a buffet breakfast awaiting me. I look so happy and sleepy. Oh, well, that sounds lovely. I suppose. God, it's... if you could capture that, if you could bottle that <laughs> feeling, I'd it's... buy it. Yeah, yeah, same. That sounds like quite the essence. Yeah. I mean, is anyone happy with their driver's license photo? What about you, Daniel? I'm, I'm happy from the reverse perspective. Okay. I feel like there's a Dorian Gray. Uh... Oh, no, I'm, I, maybe I'm the picture and my... Uh, You're the picture and what? And and uh, I'm living the picture and then my licence is like the better version of me. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. So you're getting, wow. So it's just a remote, it's like a terrible sort of before and after. That's a great picture of you. I know, but as far as Nicole Kidman practical, who doesn't want to be Nicole Kidman in 1998? I know, God, <laughs> I said uh, dishevelled Nicole Kidman. <laughs> I, I, I I just was like just reaching for kind of witch themed movies. Of course, yeah, then yeah. Maybe yeah, a, a poor woman's Nicole Kidman. Can I have a look at yours, with Simon? With greasy hair. I think that's more more apt. But um, look, no, it definitely could be worse. But <laughs> what's the conditions where you take the passport photo? <laughs> 
what? <laughs> Simon looks like he's been uh, <laughs> he's been pulled over during a drug test Let and me like see. he's been taken in for further well, questioning. Well, he did describe himself as blissful. <laughs> Yeah, you do. I'm just so sublimely, peacefully look, happy. You look so happy. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what I was contemplating. I it might want... have been like wanting tea to come <laughs> afterwards. And yours is very handsome, yeah, Daniel, as you are. So we've got uh, Nat on a... Uh, well, a, at a witch's conference. A witch's coven. On my way to a we've coven. Got, so we've got Nicole Kidman. I think we've got Simon as... We'll call it Owen Wilson. Yeah, yeah. It's got a real Pineapple Express vibe. (laughs) (laughs) And you, the Dorian Gray. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Triple R. It's time for our fix of weird science with the impossibly energetic Dr. Jen. Morning, Dr. Jen. (laughs) Good morning. Not as energetic as I have been at some points along the way this morning, I must say. But uh, caffeine. <laughs> Who, who's currently drinking caffeine? <laughs> I just guilty. finished one. Yeah. All three of I'm you. I'm halfway through. Okay. So you guys know that on the weekend I did the Oxfam trail walker, so walking 100 kilometres to Congratulations. raise money Congratulations. So Incredible. awesome. Yeah, it was, it was a big undertaking, a very joyous undertaking. Um but it was really bloody exhausting, right? So picture, you know, you walk all day, then you walk all night, and then you walk for part of the next day, and there was more than 3,000 metres of elevation gain. So any hikers or runners uh. or walkers in the audience will know it was a lot of really bloody steep hills. Um, so, yeah, pretty exhausting. But uh, So I'm allergic to caffeine. I, I can't have caffeine. It makes me really, really ill. But what? it became very clear to me out on the trail talking with lots of fabulous, interesting people, you know, being the extrovert that I am, I was just constantly finding new fun people to chat with, how important a role coffee was playing in mm. this walk. You know, th- there were constant sort of conversations about, oh, if I can just get my coffee at the next aid station, I'll be able to keep going. And, oh, I just need another couple of coffees. And it made me realise, being the scientist that I am, walking out there in the beautiful Dandenong Ranges, that I didn't actually know how caffeine worked. Which seems silly, right? I'm allergic to it. I've had years of thinking about caffeine. I've done plenty of stories about caffeine. And I was sort of out there thinking, hang on, am I being really jibbed? Is caffeine actually giving all of these other walkers more energy? Mm -hmm. Or is it somehow just, you know, delaying the inevitable tiredness? I mean, do you guys know actually how caffeine works? Because I didn't until I started researching it. No, No, I've been guided by mere faith. (laughs) (laughs) I just know it's delicious. I love the smell. And the proof is in the pudding, right? Like, if it makes you feel better, why would you go and do the reading? But it just occurred to me, you know, picture me, the, the not only, probably the only non-caffeinated person out there among the 800 people walking, <laughs> mm. thinking, hang on, this is really unfair. I don't have caffeine to look forward to. How am I going to stay awake Can I ask, do, do you have a sort of a, an equivalent that you would consider to be sort of spiritually or physically uplifting in that respect? Well, I think I, because I'm an extrovert, for me, it's just people. people. Yeah, wow. indeed. That's extraordinary. Yeah, it was really apparent to me on the trail as other people got more and more miserable and kind of got deeper and deeper into this pain cave that Mm. any athletes will be well uh, familiar with. As long as there were new people for me to say, hey, how are you? Who's in your team? Because it's a team event. You have to do it as a team. Um, you know, how are you going? How are your legs? You know, the, the inevitable question becomes, which is worse, uphill or downhill? You know, depending on which part of your <laughs> muscles are just completely fried. So I think for me, yeah, people, that's wonderful. my stimulant. That's such a beautiful answer. Well, mm. yeah, 
unlucky, right? Mm. But anyway, going back to it. So we know that caffeine plays this huge role in society, right? I'm very unusual as in not having any caffeine um, ever. And we know that, that um, every time people are looking for a coffee, it's because of this stimulant of caffeine. So I'm going to tell you, everyone's going to have a little science lesson this morning, how caffeine actually works. So basically it changes the way that the cells in our brain interact with a compound called adenosine okay adenosine important word Um, how did caffeine evolve well it evolved in plants basically as a way to prevent insects from eating them so high levels of caffeine are quite toxic so that's where caffeine comes from it comes from plants but for us we know it's this great stimulant so think about your body it constantly needs energy even when you're asleep your body needs energy just to kind of keep it functioning and you get energy in your body by breaking down a molecule called atp and in the process of your body breaking down atp one of the components which is adenosine that's the a of atp is released and so as you go through your day needing energy breaking down atp the levels of adenosine in your body goes up Okay, so as you go through your day, as you do activity, the more energy you require, the more adenosine is in your system. What you need to know is that in your brain, the nerve cells in your brain have like little docking stations called receptors for adenosines. And probably most people have seen cute little videos showing you kind of like what a receptor is and when the molecule comes in. Or you might have seen something similar talking about antibodies. You know, we we sort of have a vision. You've got a little docking station and this chemical comes in. Um, And so these docking stations are exactly the right size and shape for adenosine. And when adenosine comes into this receptor and they together they connect it sets off this whole cascade of biochemical reactions in your body which leads to you feeling sleepy so basically your nerves are signaled to slow down a whole lot of things that might happen when you're fully awake just don't happen anymore so the more and more adenosine in your system the slow slower more sluggish the sleepier you get and when you're sleeping, you don't have such high energy demands and the adenosine eventually, um, the, the levels drop. And as long as you get sleep, you wake up the next morning feeling good and with somewhat of a kind of a blank slate in terms of adenosine levels. So what's the deal with caffeine? What you need to know is that caffeine and adenosine are very, very similar molecules. And so when um, you have all of these receptors out there for adenosine, if there's caffeine in your system, it's similar enough that caffeine can block all of these adenosine receptors or little docking stations. So the adenosine that's floating around in your system that has the potential to make you feel very tired can't connect into your nerves and trigger that system of being sluggish and sleepy and tired because the, the caffeine comes in and kind of wedges in there and prevents the adenosine getting a look in. So the result is you don't get sleepy. Oh, thank you. Even though there's caffeine. adenosine in your system that has the potential to make you sleepy, mm. it can't get into your system in the same way and so it really stays off the sleepiness so basically adenosine is a way of inhibiting your nerves from doing all the busy things they normally do but caffeine inhibits that in that inhibitor if you like and so instead we feel really stimulated and good but of course there's a catch so here's me out on the trail going i need something like caffeine but the caffeine isn't actually giving you more energy it's not creating energy in your system it doesn't somehow get rid of the adenosine So over time, when the caffeine breaks down and these little receptor docking stations become open again, 
all of the adenosine that's been in your system that hasn't gone anywhere can suddenly flood in and, and, you know, and connect in in these receptors and all of a sudden not only do you feel a little bit tired but you feel very, so very that's where the tired. caffeine crash might that's come in. That's where the caffeine crash comes from. So caffeine kind of buys you time but it's not actually creating any new energy. It's not getting rid of these molecules in your system that have the power to make you feel really tired because it can't clog up the receptors forever. Um, and, and the debt that you kind of owe caffeine for helping you to feel better does eventually have to be <laughs> paid back. And the only way to do that is with sleep. Mm. So it's, you know, so it's a short-term fix. <laughs> yeah. well, why would people then crave coffee in the morning when they're just waking up? And, well, and, and not, as I do also, at the end of the day where you need to run interference. In the morning I'd say it's either because it's habit and you've got this really clear, you know, habit association of caffeine makes me feel better. And remember, not that long ago, like a month ago, we did a story about how to feel alert in the mm. morning. Um, I'd say it's also because you probably haven't had enough sleep yeah. and there's still kind of adenosine in your system. And, you know, they're, they're, you know we know that there are long-term benefits. So the way that, that caffeine interacts with our system can actually um, reduce your risk of some diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and some cancers. But there are also costs because caffeine in your system can also increase your heart rate and your blood pressure. It can contribute to insomnia if you're having it late in the day and you don't let the adenosine have its kind of normal effect. Um, And it can raise anxiety as well. We all know um, people who say, oh, I don't actually think caffeine's that good for me. But the the interesting thing is that long-term, as many people would have experienced, your brain can adapt to caffeine. So eventually if your your adenosine receptors are constantly clogged up because you always have lots of caffeine in your system, your body just makes more of them. And so that means that even with caffeine in your system, there are still adenosine receptors sitting there waiting for the adenosine. And so you have to have more and more and more caffeine to have that same sense of kind of feeling alert. Um, And if you suddenly quit caffeine, you feel totally rubbish because your body's got so many adenosine receptors that they all become full of the adenosine that that makes you feel really, really sleepy and can give you headaches and make you feel really sluggish. But I guess the good news is that if you do quit caffeine, those extra receptors will quickly disappear and you'll Mm. kind of recalibrate to a a more normal level. These receptors are really... Can we get rid of the receptors? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's possible. I think they're actually really important for the whole kind of sleep-wake cycle. And do you... You know, I suppose with your social proclivities, you, you... do you crash? I mean, if if we're having a caffeine crash, do you ever go, oh, I'm overstimulated socially and then... Oh, God, that's a deep and meaningful <laughs> it question. Is. Yeah. I feel like I'm about to have a total existential crisis. <laughs> Take it off um, I, I think potentially, you know, human interaction is, is somewhat um, less prone to, to crashes mm. than caffeine. I don't know. I'll have to test it. Maybe just you guys should all ghost me. Yeah. <laughs> refuse to talk with me and I'll tell you how Maybe we'll have a two-year lockdown and yeah. see, just as an experiment and see oh, what happens. Please. That's not uh, Dr. Jen, congratulations again. Thank yes. you. Independent Melbourne Radio 3RRR. Better Off Said on the first Sunday of every month is an afternoon of thoughts and reflections for the living and dead where special guests respond to the words, what I wish I'd said. It's a joint undertaking from theatre maker and writer Marie Hardy and uh, ahead of the gorgeous Salon, the uh, terrific Triple R alumni and National Treasure joins us now. Marie, welcome back to Breakfasters. Uh, I only come here for the interview <laughs> because, you know, words of affirmation is my love language and whenever I come here you say something really kind and then I'm like, great, thanks guys. Bye. <laughs> Well, speaking of that, Daniel is the master, isn't he? Oh, he's so 
good at so it. Good. Do you just, I mean, I know you don't get much sleep anyway, but do you lie awake going, what's the dream thing that I can say for every guest? <laughs> no, I, it would be more of a, I, I want to encapsulate what you've contributed in a way that you would agree with and in a style that you hadn't heard before. That's such a good combo. Because mm. my self-talk is very strong now because I've done a lot of therapies. So for you to have a twist and I'm like, hey, I'm pretty great. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's really nice. Um, and lots of lots has happened in your life, Matt. Has it? Did you get yeah. married since you were yep. last year? Got oh, married. Wow. It was Congratulations. awesome. Happiest month of my life. Mm. Um, so that was really good. And, like, I'm writing a lot. I was on the new Heartbreak High and I've just been on series two which i can't talk about because yeah. you know netflix is very powerful that was a huge success it was internationally amazing. that made such a ripple effect i've it. never worked on anything that's had that level of international success the writers whatsapp group was hilarious we're just like what <laughs> is happening yeah. i love tofu we yeah. were saying yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. um, but with because there's all these like american teenagers making snapchats about it and yep. asking them what an essay is and it was like this is amazing, amazing. Yeah. that cut through and that was incredible i didn't know if we'd get the a big elusive thing that everyone wants in tv now is the co-watch they want parents watching with teenagers or a, i think what's it called a quad a quad watch or something which what's is, a quad which watch is like pa- grandparents parents <laughs> teenagers kids the like they crew. want yeah the whole crew and i knew that i people who love the original heartbreak high mm. i'm like will you get them back because when we announce a show everyone's like where's drazik yeah where's drazik i'm not watching it unless drazik's in so to have like 40 somethings watch it and there are a few Easter eggs in there for them, but it got this whole new audience. It was just amazing. We didn't see it coming. What a phenomenal, so awesome work. Uh, yeah, pure it. joy. Does putting on these salons and getting into the weeds of emotions does it help your television writing at all? Yeah. Because, I mean, otherwise I sit at home on my undies all day. Like, <laughs> my work is really solitary. Now I do a lot less public-facing stuff. Like mm. I did the book show for 11 years. I was here for 12 years. What a joy. Yeah. But most of my work now is at home after running Melbourne Writers Festival for two years, got out of festivals at a really good time, better 2019, and mm. there was like no festivals for three years, which is awful. Yeah. But I have to go and interact with people. Otherwise my life is just books. Mm. you know, which is a joy. So to see all these people at Better Offset who share really vulnerable parts of themselves and that's, you know, the catharsis and how we connect. So mm. it's, yeah. yeah, what a way to interact as <laughs> <Yeah>. well. <laughs> and, I mean, I don't want to say, like, I'm a terrible puppet master curating these <laughs> shows and then sitting in the and back of the room going, notes. feelings, eh? Mm, I'll take that. What's but in the basket? What do you mean? Do you wander around with a wicker basket? Yeah, well, for the feelings. Oh, I thought you meant, like, metaphorically. No, to, like, no, no. <laughs> the literal basket. <laughs> What's in your your basket, Marie. Yeah. That's between me and my therapist. <laughs> um, so, yeah, in the show, so they're hosted by the wonderful Emily Zoe Baker and we have four uh, readers every month and it's different every month, unique shows every month. They respond to the prompt, the words I wish I'd said, and then each month we have someone as a living eulogist, eulogising someone or something that's still with us. So it can be anything from uh, Kate Kennedy did singing in groups mm. and Jan Fran did slightly prematurely Scott Morrison's career and our eulogist uh, this coming Sunday is Julian Burnside, the barrister and human rights advocate, and he is eulogising someone who is still with us, Mm -hmm. a national treasure who I hope is going to be in the room. So that's really beautiful. And then we have a little break in the middle and we give people seed paper. 
So you know the paper that's got seeds in it? It's like paper with beautiful that you write on it and you plant it. Oh, wow. And it grows. So we want people to kind of write down things that they wish they'd said, plant them. It could be something that you want to let go of and then you water it and it grows. So that's what I hand out because otherwise I'm just, I've got nothing to do with those oh, shows. You know. Is there a lot of crying? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's why I'd it's be a wreck. <laughs> it's really good. Emily's just such an amazing host. But I, I do front of house mm-hmm. and then I sit at the back of the room just quietly weeping. It's a really, it's a beautiful thing and it's people who you might know with quite big public profiles. Mm. But we're all in this human experience together. We've all got like, you know, either dying parents or we've got grief that we're carrying or breakups or whatever. So when you hear us all in this room sharing these stories, I think it gives a universality to it, which is important. Definitely. Mm. We were talking before about the impact that you were making with, you know, Heartbreak High, for example, and just the beauty of seeing the ripple effects. I suppose with this particular project, too, one of the core aspects of the vision, I understand, is kindness, creating a space for kindness. Can you talk a little bit about that? Kindness and catharsis and empathy. I think just speaking to that universal shared experience. I think it is important to understand that we're all going through some shit. Mm. (laughs) I never know if I could swear on here, but I always do. (laughs) (laughs) You said I love to... Okay, don't swear me. Don't swear me. Um, And I think also I I like to run events where I'm not at the centre of it. You know, I was like I wrote for the paper for a long time and it's really nice to to just create a space for really different voices to speak about their experience and it's not – I mean, the the brief is the words I wish I'd said. It could be anything. Mm -hmm. It could be anything and it is often anything. Some people like Claire G. Coleman, the writer, did something about just hating vegans the other day, which, of course, I took very personally I was very angry but I like kind of like being able to put those things in the place and then we all sit in the room together and I don't have to host it or do anything it's just creating something that's hopefully very beautiful and and kind mm. Absolutely. Yeah. what about the culture where's the nexus of authenticity and oversharing and also knowing what works as a theater maker mm. versus not having a filter Oh, what? That's a big question. Yeah. It's pretty enormous, isn't can, it? Can you? I, I'm not quite sure. I totally understand. I, I'm trying because, for instance, when you're writing television, maybe you know emotionally the strings to pull, but you don't want to compromise your own artistic integrity. Yeah. Even making a speech, even like you know when to put a joke in and when to get sentimental, but also we want to have an authentic experience, but you don't want to being too calculated in your expression of authenticity. Yeah, I understand that. And it's interesting what we ask people to do at these shows. And, and you know, I try and curate it so there is a real mix of voices. It's not five professional writers. Mm. It's often, like, performers and humans. So this Sunday it's Jamila Rizvi, um, Jennifer Down, who the Miles Franklin winning author who wrote Bodies of Light, Milo Hardill, who's a performer and uh, advocate, and Samantha Ratnam, who's the head of the Victorian Greens. Milo Hardill, just quickly, if I could tell this story, I did recently Libby Gore's Bold Conversations at Malthouse Outdoors. They did one on Valentine's Day with the theme Soulmates of Bullshit, which was great. It was like me and Deborah Conway and it was really fun and lots of very like ABC audience. And then Milo got up and did this kind of strip to Lizzo's tempo. (laughs) There were people in that audience who weren't quite sure how to cope with that. There was a real kind of rusted on 774 audience like, there's a naked person (laughs) at the Malthouse. And I'm like, I want that person on my stage. Exactly. So, yeah, uh, that's a kind of long-winded way of saying uh, there is an authenticity of expression. I've done the event. Like, I had to do it at Splendour because we lost four writers because of the storms. People are like, I'm going home, bye. So I had to write a piece. 
And I think it is important to be emotionally vulnerable. I try not to write those pieces going, this will get them. This will mm. get these is sentimentality. You go, I want to speak from the heart. And I think being in the room for women of letters, for better off said, they're the pieces that always cut through. Sometimes people try and be clever and go, this is a funny idea. And within about two minutes, everyone's like, we get it. It's a funny idea. Mm. But you're kind of... You're dodging the point. Yeah. Whereas when people just speak plainly from the heart about their experience, I mean, you would know from interviewing people in here, that's when it cuts through. Mm. Mm. When people come and go, I'm doing my PR thing and I'm repeating everything from the presser, mm. it's different to someone coming going, here's my heart on a yes. plate. You, know? you create environments where people feel comfortable and safe. What goes into the space itself? Is there... Does the lectern matter to you? Are there flowers arranged? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the lectern matters a lot to Emily as well. And also, as someone who hates public speaking, Mm. me, I take beta blockers for public speaking because I hate it. Mm. So the lectern is good for shaky hands. I know what it's like for Mm. people to be... I'm not on the stage, but I also know what it's like to ask people to do that. And there's an audience safety that needs to be addressed as well. We always try and find out what people are talking about. And we did a show last year. This doesn't often happen, but... Every single reader went quite dark mm. and it wasn't, you know, we, we just gave them the brief and then we started finding out what they were writing about and there was, you know, suicide and death and grief and we, were th- we thought, how do we handle this? So Emily really warned people at the start of the show that it was there was going to be vulnerability. We made sure we looked after our readers. We made sure we checked in with people afterwards, that we had sources that were accessible to people that they could go to after the show. So... I'm really conscious that you don't want to just go in there and go, here's feelings, everybody, good luck with everything. Mm. It's like it's asking the people not only on the stage to do it but the audience might it bring up a lot of stuff for them. So it's not kind of, I guess, exposing those feelings for the sake of it. It's really making sure that people are safe in that experience. Yeah. And so, you would have had experiences in your career where you're just thrown to the wolves and deal with it. Yeah, mm. consistently. Yes. Uh, have you read News Limited? <laughs> <laughs> And you can you create it. I mean, I've got a pretty thick skin now after years of kind of being, you know, pilloried by the by News Corp. Um, but and I'm not on Twitter anymore, and I really miss it. Yeah. I really miss it. Did, why are you not on Twitter? Because he anymore? let Trump back on as soon as that prick who ruined everybody's fun. Like uh, that was kind of my line. I thought if he lets Trump back on, and I know Trump hasn't gone back on, but I miss that community conversation. Mm. And on there, people are you know shit can you, but I don't care because I had that community conversation and I miss the community that we built during lockdown I mean Twitter was a real godsend during lockdown it was amazing yeah I wonder if there is so this this is your community now do you feel like the yeah but that's once a month and we're doing a limited season this year so it's six shows starting this Sunday first Sunday of every month and we're doing that because live arts is quote unquote back Mm. but boy it's it's still struggling Mm. and I you know you'd have all the theater makers and it's comedy festivals so I'm sure you're about to get a buttload of comedians in Mm -hmm. here plugging their shows as they should but even festivals I went to the beautiful OK Motels run by the wonderful Kate Berry recently and that was just uh, the most heartwarming incredible experience great for Charlton but I know it was tough to get people there so festivals are struggling live events are struggling even that the Libby Gore event like getting people to these things I don't know if Melbournians are just nervous because of the last couple of years Mm. obviously money is tight for everyone but we decided to go, let's do six shows 
a year and have a kind of limited season and create this special unique thing every month for six months and see how we go but it's really it's on people to kind of come and attend these events because if you don't they'll go away yeah it's in our hands collectively isn't it yeah I mean it's the same as triple R you know we live on sponsors and it's the community that makes this place and mm. we need the community and the community needs us so we have to kind of yeah chip in together yeah and it's such a rich experience it's yeah it's so interesting to think about like it's never been so easy to like share our feelings and thoughts on things on social media but nothing can compare to actually being in the room with an artist or engaging with speakers or fellow audience members so and that's why we I mean we only record uh, some of the events that people uh, give us permission to mm. but there are a lot of people who say I don't want my piece recorded we mm. had someone speak not that long ago about a, a, a legal action that they were involved in and she said I'd like to get this out in the room but I don't want it recorded and we respected that so it's like it's not going up on YouTube going how many you know likes mm. can we get mm. I don't want to exploit it it's like here is a safe place for you to discuss this mm. and we'll share this we'll hold this space with you so I think there's something really beautiful and it's ephemeral about that yeah you know uh, contained theatre making. It really is a special afternoon. Head to betteroffsaid.com.au for the full list. It kicks off April 2. The 2023 season begins and uh, for more information, head to that website. It's on at the Brunswick Ballroom. It is the beautiful... Yeah, speaking of supporting community, Brunswick Ballroom, who were great in lockdown, they were offering free food to local musicians Mm. when we couldn't leave our houses. You could go... I mean, and they were struggling. They Mm. just took it over and then shut down. So it's such a beautiful space. The people who run it are amazing and they are embedded in their community. So supporting them is a great thing. Well, thanks for swinging by, Marie. Oh, it's Uh, always so nice. And you know I'm a super fan. No. I told you I listen to you guys every morning. We, we put you on the live stream. So I'm like, oh, my God, they're here in person. No. So it's cool. always a treat to have you. Uh, love, to, it should be love to F you, shouldn't it? I beg your pardon. No, you're right, exactly. I'm married. <laughs> it's me. Uh, Marie Cardi, better off said, .com.au. Thanks very much for being here. Triple R. Dirt, dirt. It's where you grow your plants. Dirt, dirt, dirt. Hey, you got some on your pants. Can you stop saying about dirt? It's time to talk gardening and flowers with the high priest of horticulture. Morning, Digger. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, now, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It is incredible. Um, there's so much going on. Comedy festivals starting, obviously, those that are into uh, motorsports. But for us gardeners, it is Primo time of the year for festivals as well. There's some of the biggest events in horticulture on starting. Well, one of them starts today. One mm. of them starts in two days' time. And the, it's what the hundred thousand people, the biggest in the southern hemisphere. Absolutely, the flowering garden show. But also, Kabloom is on. Kabloom, the festival of flowers. The um, some people may know the Tesla Tulip Festival up in Sylvan. But um, yeah, starting this week as well as the festival of flowers, ten thousand square meters of wildflowers. So wow. imagine one and a half mcgs of wildflowers that you can just go and you know get your Insta off on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, so that's that. I think that's. That's got to be at least a kabillion flowers. Yeah. <laughs> how do I dissemble the kabloom? Dissemble it? Yes. Aren't they permanently planted they're, in they're the ground? Okay. Yeah, so this is, you know, the, 
years of design, thinking about layout and then planting these plants out and getting the right species at the right time to all flower at the one time for 30 days. Oh, the festival goes for 30 days. It sounds incredible and I wonder how like just committed lifetime gardeners would feel about their festivals being overrun with influences there for the photos. <laughs> it must be annoying. It is as annoying as <laughs> shit because sometimes people get their selfies and there's designated paths. You know, these are big floral displays. Yeah. It's very obvious where the paths are. But just, you know, please, if you're going out there, don't be those wankers that just go, i just got to get my selfie stick mm. and I'm going to walk into the middle of the garden beds and yeah. stomp all over things to get oh. my shot. Mm. That's just not cool. Um, it's and almost inevitable, what, isn't it? It's inevitable. But, you know, there's some very angry baby boomers out there that, yeah. will, just, <laughs> that will get all Fair over enough. you. Yeah. So the next one um, that starts today and runs them through till Sunday is the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show. Yes, the largest horticultural show in the Southern Hemisphere. Hundreds of thousands of people. So I think their record is you know somewhere along six hundred and fifty thousand people mm. over five days. Well, I think they're expecting to break it this year. Yeah, because it's bigger this year. There's so much more going on. And if you've never been, you don't even have to be into plants and flowers to go and see some of the displays. It's just mind blowing how much they put in, how much work goes in to do these displays and then it all gets dismantled and, you know, in two weeks' time there's no, nothing there. It's all completely gone. So, mm. Have you – are you involved? Have you seen what's on show? Uh, yeah, I've, fortunately. In previous years I've actually been, you know, of part course. of the um, – you know, presenting there and all that kind of stuff. But um, fortunate enough to get previews sent to me so I know what's going to be there and really excited about some of the displays. So mm. the the – the you know the show is there's large display gardens there's talks there's product placements there's um there's, this year there's even a, a whole garden set aside for tai chi if it all just gets too much for oh, you wow. you got free tai chi <laughs> lessons <laughs> yeah if you just are completely overwhelmed with it but the main the main draw card is what's called the show gardens and there's ten show gardens from you know the the peak of landscape designers in this country and abroad. We've even got people coming over from, from Ireland this year. And so they build these amazing gardens. Think of something about 15 metres by 15 metres uh, to really set a scene. So there's some high-end stuff. Um, one in particular I'm really looking forward to from Inga Jabara is is called Lunaria Pods. So if you to look up Lunaria, L-U-N-A-R-I-A, as the name suggests, think Lanaria, the moon. The seed pods of these plants are these kind of like opalescent, iridescent little round discs that light actually penetrates through and you can see the individual seed on the inside. Mm. Um, and so Inga's designed this whole garden around the shape of those branches and those seed pods hanging on the branches and has gone almost futuristic with, with it. So they look like potato chips? Yeah, a bit, bit like potato chips, <laughs> you know. You see them in floristry a lot, but they're the most amazing thing. So with 3D-printed concrete garden beds. It's still got kitchens in it. It's still got lawn areas. It's got outdoor entertaining areas. But I'm really keen to see how she's formed because I know what the pods look like. Mm. And so I was like, oh, is it going to look exactly like it? Yeah. So, I, yeah. I saw one display about Victorian bushfire potentially or, or I'm thinking about what horticulture's role in bushfire recovery and and seeing that sometimes the regeneration is – Terrific and necessary. Well, that's exactly it. You know, the, Australia is a continent that is has always existed with fire. You know, and it's part of our ecology. So, yeah, gardens um, essentially displaying. It's like we know the devastation of fire. It can be completely devastating and deadly. But 
with that becomes all this new reborn, new life, and it life goes on, time yeah. goes on. So it's about celebrating that rebirth. Um, and so uh, one of the main themes this year is about the sustainability of, of gardening and focusing on that, that, you know, we can plant out to minimise risk and we can plant out to celebrate what happens after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what about when people are setting up and sometimes does it look different when it's all out than it was in your mind's eye or do landscapers and designers see it and it just replicates from their head? Absolutely, you can see it. Good designers, and I don't know whether that's an innate thing or something that you learn, and that does come out. I think those that are innate, like, you know, I can go into the garden and pitch something to you because I can see it in my head. I can see it in two years' time, five years' time, ten years' time, fifteen years' time. Mm. So that's how we're able to essentially do these designs, source plants of certain dimensions even, to go that one needs to be this big and that colour tone and that texture and just make it happen. So stand in front of a million plants and pull out 600 and put them together because we know what it's going to look like. Is that something you think you can learn or is it just kind of innately in you? I think you can learn it but um, to be really good at it and this is is where the interpretation of what's good design and what's not, I suppose, it's like, ah, that doesn't look natural or that looks a bit contrived Mm -hmm. and that's where us design wankers, you know, come into our own really. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's all personal opinion. Mm. So... Another thing about the show is it's not just about the big show gardens. My favourite ones are the small ones. So there are garden displays of five metres by five metres, like a courtyard, which are the boutique gardens. The best ones are the three metres by three metres, which are the landscape design students from all the TAFE colleges around Australia. So they get very small constraints and produce, in my opinion, the best designs. Mm. You know, big show gardens, it might cost you 100 grand to put in, but these things would cost you, you know, 2,000. Yeah, that's what appealed to me when I was looking through the program mm. is the, the courtyards, the balconies, kind of like the vertical garden because yeah. it's attainable. Exactly, and there's so many more people, you know, as, as our you know cities get higher density the Mm. balcony gardens are going to be the ones so i would estimate that in 15 20 years time the bulk of the melbourne international flower and garden show will be about high-rise living Mm. Mm. do they kick on reliably these graduates that you're impressed by absolutely yeah ingrid was one of the ones who you know lenaro came through there um it's it's the main breeding ground for you know horticulturists in australia Inside the botanical and the Royal Exhibition Buildings, I should say, is the floristry industry because it's the horticultural show. Floristry is a massive part of horticulture and it's just the designs in there just blow your mind of what you think floristry can be. Um, There's a floral fashion section, so literally clothing entirely out of flowers. Um, The displays are just mind-blowing. You know, I'm... I, I'm a landscape kind of person, but I have to ensure that I always go in and allocate an hour in there just to go... Bloody hell, that's amazing. Mm. It's a pity it's going to get pulled down kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, you know? I think I saw a wedding dress made of flowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How do just, you try that? I mean, what, you buy it in August and then it's all it's wilted? It's for photos, aren't you? I think you just get in <laughs> oh, for yeah. the, you know, the hydraulically underneath up <laughs> to there and you take your photos and you get out of it. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. And in 2023, does, that, d- does the international sing more than maybe previous years? Well, this is a big one because uh, um, when was it? It was probably about 15 years ago, uh, Australia crew went over to Chelsea which is the International Flower and Garden Show in Chelsea the largest in the world and we went over there and won it and that was huge that was the world going hang on a minute because we've got so many exotic plants and mm. and we were using rusty you know sculptures and those kind of things which the world hadn't seen so it's very interesting that now they're starting to return and go hang on a minute these are some big players here 
we want to we want to jump in that pool. So it's going to be fascinating. And are they in competition, Kabloom and Melbourne Flower Show? Or oh, well, Kabloom runs for a month. So you've got the starts on the 25th or start on the 25th and runs to the 25th of April, 10 till 5 daily. Um, kids under 16 are free, so that's a reason that parents to drag their kids along, not paying mm. for them. Um, but that's 10 till 5, it goes for a month. The Flower and Garden Show starts today and it's 10, at 9... Nine till five every day, except for Friday, which is twilight. So you can even go to see the gardens lit on I, Friday night. Oh, that'd I, be lit. I was asking my friend actually. I'm like, does it go into the evenings? They're like, I don't think so. I'm like, I swear I'd seen like fairy lights. Yeah. So Friday night only is you know gardens by night. Ah, oh, fantastic. Yeah. But you're more interested in the tools and all that sort of gear. Well, that's just it. You know, I, you know I've got to go in there. I'm going to go in on early on. Um, Saturday morning, um, get in before all the crowds because it does get busy, peeps. And yeah, let's see what new tools are. <laughs> <laughs> right, look forward to hearing all about it. Melbflowershow.com.au and kabloom.com.au. Digger, thanks very much. Pleasure. Melbourne's own Triple R. Melbourne Now 2023 celebrates new and ambitious local art and design with over 200 contemporary projects and events across all three levels of NGV Australia. Ten years on, from the inaugural exhibition, Melbourne Now highlights the latest art, architecture, design and cultural practice shaping our city. And to tell us about the scale of the exhibition and the works on show, we're joined by Senior Curator of Contemporary Art, Design and Architecture at NGV, Ewan McCoyan. Welcome to Breakfasters. Good morning. <laughs> now, this isn't your first rodeo. Uh, take us back 10 years where this all began and the, the idea and where, where it's taken us today. Indeed. I actually started um, at the NGV on the first Melbourne Now, which um, I suppose the idea at the time, uh, led by uh, director Tony Elwood, was to really sort of bust open the gallery a bit in terms of its relationship with con- the contemporary arts scene in Melbourne um, and design and architecture I came on to do design and architecture with with a group of other guest curators, um, and I think before before 2013, the NGV perhaps had had focused in other places, and um, there was a sense of a, of a bit of disconnection from really the vibrant community of artists working in the city. So it was it was a show that was developed quite quickly. It felt um, there was a lot of energy around it. A lot of people. Curating, so across the, all of the different departments within the gallery, and then a whole load of guest curators came in, and a lot of collaboration, a lot of public programming. Um, it was a real hit. So 750,000 people went through that first show, and I think it was the, um, you know, an indicator that the audience uh, was ready, and that 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 kind of content really was quite appealing, but also. It created a lot of ongoing resonance within the, you know, the, it still now seems to have been an important show 10 years on in terms of what it did for our artists in the city. Mm. Um, and it, it helped us to really clarify what kind of shows would work and, and it led to the triennial, which we've run now twice and will be on again this year. And it also led to the sort of early beginnings of building a new building of contemporary art and design, which were you know, in the process of doing. Absolutely. Well, we're thrilled to kind of hear you describing some of the sort of philosophical motivations for for Melbourne Now and the sort of, you know, the reflection that it is of the city that we live in. Of course, it is called Melbourne Now. And so 10 years later, we have a, a different city that we're living in. There's, a, there's going to be an AI chatbot called G that sort of can accompany us on this particular journey. But can you describe what people can expect in terms of what Daniel was saying before, the, the scope and the scale and the range of, of works? Sure. 
Uh, it's very... Well, the good thing about curating a show like this is it's not thematic, and so you're very free in terms of the curatorial the selection. So we've got um, very small, very poignant sort of works, maybe an individual work from an artist, um, uh, uh, ranging right then across to, to major new commissions. But it, it does include craft, practice, jewellery, fashion and textiles, architecture, photography, and then indeed things like new and emerging technologies. And um, the audience can expect is, um, A, it's free, so that's good, so you can go in and out as <laughs> many amazing. times as you want. But it's a, we've learned through doing the first Melbourne Now and also the trainings, you know, that journey is really important, how people move through. And I was there all weekend, this weekend, and it's just so wonderful to see the building at Federation Square full of people. Um, and that really... So what you get is this sense of movement through and discovery because we're using all of the spaces. So even in the colonial collection, this work all through that. Um, yeah, and I mean, it's, it's a, 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 you know, there's really no way to define one central thing. It's just a mixture of people's work and stories and ideas. Absolutely, a real celebration of the creativity and the important sort of yeah, work that's being conducted in this city. I understand very much that you're passionate about addressing sort of social and environmental issues through design. We're kind of interested in finding out a little bit about how you're sort of uh, encouraging audiences to sort of think about design and its impact in this exhibition. Sure. I mean, certainly reflecting on 10 years of change... Um, so 10 years ago, we probably were far less conscious, certainly as an institution, we were far less conscious and the exhibition was far less conscious of the significance of the looming climate emergency. But also we see other change. The city's grown by a million people in 10 years, so there's, it's expanded. Um, so we're looking at that in terms of civic ar architecture. Um, but in terms of the design content, yeah, I think that uh, there's an ongoing kind of... Um, discussion around shifting out of a carbon-based economy, shifting into a biomaterial future. And some of those things are evident in, in the exhibition, but also aspects of, you know, for example, you mentioned an AI chatbot. You know, 10 years ago, we weren't thinking about our relationship to AI, and now we really are. Absolutely. What's something that's really making your eyes pop in the exhibition? Um... So there's a couple of projects. I think Eyes Pop is a good... So <laughs> I can give you a few. Eye, uh, eye Candy. Mm -hmm. Megan Strader, who's an um, artist who works with light, has done a beautiful installation, which is on the um, third floor, which is sort of a tunnel of light using LED light cord, which sounds pretty simple, but responding to the architecture, sort of the fractal architecture of Federation Square. So that's, that's pretty cool. Rel Pham, who's a young Vietnamese-Australian artist... He's done a project called Temple, which has got about 650 RGB gaming fans all synchronised and a, and a central animated um, uh, sort of altar space. And it's, that's a really cool installation and something I'm really excited about because it's the first, his first actual built physical thing. He's only ever worked in, the, in a virtual space. So to give an artist that kind of scope, when people see it, it's pretty... Um, cool. Um, eye candy as well. I mean, VR, Sean Gladwell's done a great project called Passing Electrical Storms where you 
basically go into the gallery, lie on a bed in a spaceship-like clinic, and you put on VR and you watch yourself die and go out into the universe. So that's that's a really cool 10-minute journey. It's very... Um, it's actually very meditative. I, you know, it's a it's quite a beautiful work, and he's looking at how how far science now can see out into the universe and in inward into at, a, at an atomic level. He's interested, uh, inspired by the Eames's nineteen um, seventies powers of ten. Amazing. Given your uh, background and initial interests, is there anything about putting this together that? has inspired you. It's like, well, I, I didn't care that much about ceramics, but I tell you what, now I'm all on board. Oh, I do care a lot about <laughs> No, I, as an example. <laughs> That's a trick question. <laughs> Actually, I should mention ceramics because there's a great work by Kenny Pintock, which there's a few of these quiet works that people... Sh- I think when you see people find them... So Kenny Pintock's work is in the Joe Brown collection on Level 2, and it's a collection of 52 shopping lists, <laughs> which when you look at them, they're in a case, and you look at them, you could easily miss the fact that they're actually porcelain. Um, and that he worked in a supermarket through COVID and collected these shopping lists, which seems pretty sort of innocuous, but when you read them, you really get a sense of who we are as a city, you know, the sort of the the ingredients people are collecting. Everyone's buying booze, um, but the, yeah. the sort of um, uh, the sense of personality that you get through those things and when you put 52 together, um, things that were sort of surprising for me, um, probably how, how significant and resonant it is to put First Nations works into the colonial collection in a really meaningful way and to ask artists to respond to that. So there's an example would be um, a bachelor artist who's from Brisbane, Mia Bow, who's based in Melbourne now. She's done a, a wall, a mural and a series of paintings in the colonial collection responding to Australian modernist works but really bringing a First Nations perspective about incarceration, deaths in custody, um, you know, uh, Indigenous people in the in the judicial system, it's a pretty... And there's a few projects like that where you're really saying this is... We need to re-examine what a colonial collection means in an institution in Australia today. Absolutely, which is so very important. And you did hint before at another sort of aspect of the of the exhibition. Of course, it's called Melbourne Now, but it is also looking to the future of, of what's coming and move away from, say, a carbon-based economy into sort of more biomaterials. Can you tell us a little bit about how Melbourne is really innovating in this space and what you're sort of seeing that Melbourne is really pioneering in this in this way? Well, we are and we aren't, if we're honest. So designers, I think there's a lot of... Um, a good example of a different kind of innovation would be the work Gathering Place, which is a work by Auntie um, Caroline Briggs and Sarah Lynn Rees, so our, our, our Indigenous our, our artist and architect. And that was a show, a work we collected from Who's Afraid of Public Space at ACCA. That The central proposition of that work is to consider how the built environment could be how could we design from country and think of materiality in the built environment being very much about local content, but also if we think about building or architecture as an act of healing within within on country. So I see a shift taking place as we consider materiality across all scales. And I mean, Jesse, there's a small work in... We've got a series of vessels in the exhibition which we 
display with Craft Victoria. We've done... Jesse French has a work in there made of algae. Um, but we've got a lot of... Over the last few years, we've definitely done a lot of projects looking at... at um, uh, plastics, but also um, new emerging polymers and things like that. I think the reality is it needs to change quicker. Um, but through commissioning projects, you sort of accelerate that um, and allow experimentation to take place. Excellent. And if, is it is it working? Is it is, do you feel you've shaken up the city that artists and designers and craftspeople feel seen by institutions and? Uh, you know that I, what you were talking about before about the yeah just shaking up the idea of um, of an art space like this that, that you did in 2013 is are you on track? Do you feel like Seems you have support? Were. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Mm. Um, I mean, what I see looking back on 10 years is the fact that um, we, I mean. The, uh, the art scene is always complicated. You know, we have, we've got... The, obviously, artists need as much support as they can get um, and the spaces where artists work need as much support as they can get. Um, you know, our role is to do our part, which is, you know... Melbourne now is interesting because you really are looking at emerging mid-career and senior artists all at the same time. But we run a kind of whole load of threads together. You know, we run Melbourne Design Week. We've launched a design fair, which is on again for the second time this year, which is basically... A platform for people to make and sell work the gallery is increasingly engaged in trying to um, create opportunities within the sector um, but also through through doing Melbourne now this time I mean you realize how important spaces like Gertrude and others are in terms of that you know that giving having places you can go where you know you're going to find the good artists who have uh, the right training the right perspective so it, it's definitely we're only one part of a big ecosystem. Um, having the opportunity to invest some significant money in artists for Melbourne now has been, you know, that's part of it. Is you know we've invested over a million dollars in commissioning new work, which is which makes, I mean, not only a financial difference, but really you want artists to be able to make the best work possible, mm. and to do that you have to help them with financial support yeah well it's an exciting and enormous undertaking and melbourne now 2023 is on now uh, until the 20th of august it is and we've got a you know every every day there's a there's a community hall space that was a real highlight of the first melbourne now we're doing that again so there's 350 talks programs there's a film program performance art program um and as I said, it's free. So we really want... It's not something you're going to do in an hour. You know, it's it's a big show and um, there's lots of layers. And I think if people... Um, you know, you can't convey it in a quick interview. Of there's course. A, there's, um, it's, it's very... I think it's not only it's entertaining, but it's very thought-provoking in terms of well, what, what, what it does Melbourne have to say about itself and the world we live in at the moment, both from a... What are the concerns? But what are the what's what are we optimistic about? And mm. it's definitely got a buzz about it. Absolutely. Well, check it all out. Melbourne now twenty twenty three is displayed throughout all levels of the In Potter Centre, NGV Australia. We've been speaking with Senior Curator of Contemporary Art Design and Architecture at NGV, Ewan McCoy, and thank you so very much. Thank you. Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. Yesterday definitely felt like a shit in seasons, didn't it? Yes. Yeah, like, and I don't think I would have been alone. And I, I, 
it officially started for me like the start of soup season. I love that. So yesterday was the day. Yesterday was the day. Wasn't just me, and I think that there, it would have happened across many houses <laughs> yes. um, across the state. But all three of my housemates made a soup last wow. night. Wow! Without fact, consultation, without premeditation. Yeah, no, and we're, it's it's not often that we're all home together. Mm. And then it was, you know, I one housemate was making a chicken and veggie soup. I made a red lentil veggie soup. Other housemate. Potato and like wow! So you also made complimentary soups. There's no overlap there. And look, we offered to to share. I don't eat meat, so I was like, no, not with the chicken, but you know, offer to share with the other ones. But I think everyone wanted to to do the first soup of the season and then kind of put it into Tupperware and have it for the rest of the week. Did it turn into a? potluck or whatever the word would be, like a soup smorgasbord? (laughs) Unfortunately not. Maybe that we can do a bit of an exchange throughout the week, but it's more... It was, it was a private just fighting over, the, yeah, <laughs> over bench space. I see. <laughs> the sideboard. Uh, no, but there was commentary. It was still a lovely experience. Absolutely. But, but everyone no kind of ate at different times. We had to stagger our kitchen isn't that big, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it, this always happens to me. I am not the greatest cook. I'm not terrible. And I feel like every soup that I make, first of all, I never follow a recipe because it's – it's a soup, surely, like if you can't make a soup. Well, I mean, perhaps the beauty of the soup is, in essence, its simplicity and adaptability. Yeah, yeah. and it's intuitive, yeah. I guess. And it's like a red lentil soup, like how hard can it be? <laughs> it's like, it's not making a creme brulee or anything, am I? So I went about it and I have a few barriers when it comes to cooking. I'm quite impatient, so I'll always often cook on high heat. I see. And I'll always try and multitask while cooking. Oh, yeah, what could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I'll just have a quick quick shower, leave it on the stove, not an issue. So I'm always kind of running around when I'm cooking, and as a result, pretty much everything I end up cooking tastes exactly the same. Is yeah. it a, sim- a similar range of ingredients that you're employing, or is it... Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess my ramen isn't tasting like my red lentil soup, but it, it just always kind of tastes. Well, this is a tomato-based red lentil soup, and and you brought it in. I yeah. brought it in we're, for you to sample. We were, we're going to say thank you so much. You've given us some beautiful sort of ramekin balls. Now they are actually they're from. Um, I brought them specifically just so I could brag on air. <laughs> they're from an op shop, but they if you look underneath, they're Arthur Boyd. An oh, artist, wow. yeah. And so my mum found them and she's always like, Natalie, always check under the base of the ramekin. So anyway, like just Your a bit of arts and culture for you. Um, yeah, so have a taste. See what you think. But Thank you. I think it just tastes like tomato. Um, mm, I'm sampling it now. It's delicious. There's a real curry flavour profile. Do you think? Yeah. And it reminds be- me a little bit of... Um, just tastes like, tastes like tomato paste, doesn't it? No, I would have said a twist more on a minestrone-style tomato base. Yeah, okay. But the lentils kind of add depth, richness, <laughs> nutrition, and there's plenty of um, the vegetable chunks, so you feel the love and the health sort of coursing through your body how, as you consume How it. do you feel about the consistency? I'm a fan of it. Okay. As, a, as maybe a, a five-year-old, I would have preferred... <laughs> Preferred it completely blended, but now I, I embrace You the, like the chunky soup? Yeah. I just think here's my issue. It tastes like just like tomato paste, doesn't it? I mean, it has a, a rich tomato I can, sort come of on, Daniel, presence, be honest. My feedback's less 
elaborate. It, it, um, it tastes hot and salty. <laughs> <laughs> It's is, truly delicious. Is that, is that the only flavour no, no, of going through? Not. No, there's there's a lot going on. Yeah. Um and you're so you're you you worry that because you uh because you have it on a high heat, everything has like a nat consistency. Yeah, it it's always that consistency. Like even if I was making a lasagna somehow it'd come out like that soup. Like it's just and I panic. Do you ever panic when you're cooking? Oh, I'm in a panic every time I, I wake up. <laughs> like the spinach was the last addition. Like I, I always think it doesn't taste like anything. So then at the last minute I'll just chuck in a bunch of spices. I've chucked in a, an, an extra can of tomatoes in a panic, an extra. Well, you, you gave it um, greater quantity, I suppose. You were kind of yeah, bulking it up. It up yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's each spoonful I've had so far is different from the last yeah wow and so that that keeps me going back for more that keeps me coming wow back. that's so generous because mm. i feel like i did it the other night i cooked for my housemates um and their partners and it was it, i made bolognese like a tofu bolognese and it essentially tasted exactly like that like i just tomato i just well i think you're really celebrating the tomato in both of those dishes but yeah. i feel like the mode of delivery is so distinct as to kind of be complementary as opposed Maybe to... Maybe the ramekins are just doing the heavy lifting. Well, Arthur Boyd is a big bonus here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Triple R. Sean Walsh is a stand-up comedian who was featured on Live at the Apollo tonight at the London Palladium, the Jonathan Ross Show, and placed fifth in the last season of the UK's I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Sean is in town for the Melbourne International Comedy Festival with his live show Back From The Bed, which might or might not have been nominated for Best Show at last year's Edinburgh Fringe. And to tell us about it, the guy from Strictly joins us now. Sean, welcome to Melbourne and Breakfasters. Thank you, thank you very much for having me. Um, do you want me to clear up? Yes, what, please. Yeah. So, no, the, the show in Edinburgh was uh, Sean Walsh's uh, dead, happy now and and this one is back from the bed this one is not that one yeah. um, but this one was written before that one I'm going back to the one I did pre-lockdown Pre- no, no. <laughs> I wrote this in lockdown okay. I wrote this in lockdown then I did dead in, in Edinburgh great and then I didn't want to do that anymore, so I go back to the other one. Good. Well, I mean, you're funny, so just see it. That's basically. what they, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, whatever, it's all the same. It doesn't yeah. matter. Uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll stop talking at the end of sentences and people laugh. That's all that right. matters, really. I love, this is a bold move. So the last show was nominated for Best Show in Edinburgh. Yes. That's huge. And you're like, no, going international, not going to do, do that. Do you know what? Going it's, for a different it's, one. It's, maybe it's a bit pretentious, but the, the, that, that Edinburgh show mm. was, you know, in the Edinburgh Festival, it's an artsy festival and that was a that was like a it was like a story based okay show right yeah. about my life mm-hmm. and although that was fun to do that i just wanted to go back to doing what people back home certainly know me for which is being an idiot for an hour okay and that's what i enjoy doing yeah is being an idiot and people watching yeah. a, an adult be an idiot because australians don't know that you're on the front of the sun newspaper for two weeks or- <laughs> Yeah, twelve days in a row, and then and then yeah, kind of sporadically for the next three years. Mm. <laughs> so I didn't want to go back to that. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> is, it, what, is it worth recapitulating briefly? Because it, it recapitulating. Just, well, it, nice re- words. <laughs> Dropping that early in the morning. Recapitulating. Just, just because it's so weak. Because it's such a bizarre a period of your life, which you describe as some of the worst years of your life. And so, just for context, so that we can enjoy what you do best. This is how I'm starting my day. Yeah. I'm having to describe, capitulate, rather. Yeah. Um, no, I, oh God, I went on a. Is it called Dancing on the Stars? It is, yeah. Yeah. So I went on Dancing on the Stars and then I uh, kissed my... Well, we we kissed. uh, I kissed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We kissed and uh, she was married and I was in a relationship and and then all hell... Broke loose and and that was the end of me. Yeah, and, and then um, and you <laughs> I wrote it what you're saying. Yeah, no, but I mean you've, tri- like, you've triumphed like, over it. So, so it's put the past now. Australia, I'm just so this really dark story. You're like, yeah, <laughs> that's great. No, short walls can be back in Melbourne comedy. No, um, yeah, but no, but what? And then after that, I kind of had. <laughs> so funny I'm just, I had uh, post-traumatic stress disorder because yeah, yeah. it's quite a lot when an entire country kind of collectively get together and decide they, mm. they hate you and you're not going to work anymore yeah, yeah. <laughs> a nightmare and you thought you could come over here and not talk about yeah, it yeah I know yeah. I thought I could leave that behind but no um but that was five years ago. Yeah, exactly. And we're still... Yeah. Well, you did run... And, and so that was what the show was about. That's what Dead was about. That mm. was about... <laughs> yeah, so it was about uh, the re- the fallout of that, what that did kind of uh, did to my life and uh, about... And also incorporated my dad's heroin addiction. Okay. It was quite a dark... This is what I'm saying. Show. This is I, I, I didn't want to do that anymore. Mm. So um, this show that I'm doing now... Is well, like I say, it's just me not being able to cope. Mm. Every one of my shows should be called "I I can't handle this." Not coping. Not, co- not I can't, coping. I can't do it. Yeah. That's that's really mm. it for me. That's what life is like. So, I I do you know what this is weird. I saw a quote, my own quote, <laughs> of me talking about my show. And I don't remember saying it, but I read it and I thought, that is brilliant. Oh, that wow. is exactly what my show is. Did um, you say capitulate? I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, no, the show is, it's basically, um, people come to see me, I think, for an, for an hour in the evening. And they laugh um, uh, because they're relieved that they're not me. Uh, okay. That's what I think it is. It's just an hour of going, thank God I'm not this guy. Yeah. This guy's insane. Well, you've had some blessed moments. I mean, you've performed for our king. I, oh, my God, I have. <laughs> yes. yes, I have. Like, well, good cue. Well done, yes. <laughs> I, I did the Royal Variety performance back home and um, I did a gig in front of, at the time, Prince Charles, but, yeah, he's been promoted. Yeah, he did well, well and he, he got a promotion. And I, I basically, I had this. It was quite a tough time at this gig. It was very difficult. It was two thousand people in tuxedos, mm. and it wasn't really. Let's call it my crowd. And <laughs> um, and then afterwards, like normally, if you had a bad gig, you'd just go home, right? But obviously, at the Royal Variety performance, you then have to meet the royal family afterwards. And so he's walking <laughs> towards me, and I'm thinking, oh, please don't, no, don't, no. He's going to come up to me, and he's going to have to say, well done, that was brilliant, and I'm going to have to go, oh, thank you, Your Majesty, and it'll just be really awkward. Instead, what happened is he got to me, he leant in, and he went, don't worry about that lot, bunch of toffs. <laughs> and that was lovely. That was oh, such a nice, yeah, yeah, moment. So I'm a big fan of, of the king. Oh, oh yeah. Purely because he put you at ease after a bad totally. gig. Yeah, he's just honest. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. he just acknowledged, yeah, that didn't work, mm. but it wasn't you, it was them. Yeah. 
like so that it. was very nice. Now, what are you going to do around here? You don't drive. Are you going to get driven around? I've or? just learnt to drive. Oh, did oh. you? Okay. I just learnt to drive. Congratulations. <laughs> you have an incredible uh, voice, by the way. It's very soothing. Oh, thank you. You're making, you're making me want to have a bath. <laughs> that's right. You should do like... Uh, there is apparently some Welsh in there. Oh, that's true, actually, yeah. Mm. Really? Yeah. You should do a meditation. <laughs> <laughs> it's so relaxing and calming. Yeah, it's um, but, uh, yeah, no, I did learn to, I learned to drive, and it's, it's amazing, isn't it? I'd mm. love it. I mean, I, this is, I'm 37, and I've just learned to drive. I, um, is this normal? Who taught you, can I ask? Um, uh, uh, well, an instructor. Okay. okay called okay. Uh, a bed. Shout out to a bed. Uh, <laughs> <Excellent>. <laughs> you're listening. <laughs> the outskirts of West London. But I am. Um, is this normal? I, uh, I at night, like in a film, like in those like kind of cop thrillers. At night, I sometimes go for a drive. Is that strange? You'll know. Get, you... To calm you, to relax, or just to chill, mm. just drive around London. I really love it because I've never. You know, I've, most of my life I've not driven. Is that normal? Well, or? it can be a very contemplative environment in which to do so. <laughs> Your yeah. voice, I can't take it seriously. <laughs> you put that so seeming. Yeah. Contemplative. Yeah. It can be a very contemplative place. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm going to drive. Actually, you, you shouldn't be allowed on the radio. <laughs> if people are driving and listening to you, it's very dangerous. Yeah. I put myself to sleep all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yes, no, no, so enjoy driving. But uh, I really, you don't need to drive. Right here, I, I, I'm staying around the corner from the show, yeah. And I walk to the show. Oh, Trans. no, you're not around here, of course not. But if you want to check out the penguins or something like that, the what? Well, we just had a penguin expert from Phillip Island, mm. huge penguin colony, okay. 5,200 penguins, is it? Yeah. I hope I'm not being rude, you don't I, oh, I don't, I don't care, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> No, that's right. We're talking out there. We're I'm, trying to be, you know, no, good very, hosts. No, it's very nice of you, but yeah, penguins, you I've, they've never... Do I do it for you? Are you into penguins? I'm a big fan, but yeah. I, I understand... <laughs> I understand it's, maybe you, you've got a, a busy schedule, so you might not have yes, time. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Uh, where can I see these penguins if Phillip I Island. suddenly have a change of mind? Phillip uh, Island. Yeah, I mean, it would be a lovely drive, just for the drive. Yeah. Oh, Okay. Right, maybe mm. I'll try it. Thank I think you. so. Do you know what I've just realised? You're not coming through in my headphones, so I'm going to take these off. Oh, OK. Oh, okay. Now I can hear you. Oh. I've just been kind of pretending to hear you <laughs> for the last ten minutes. Fantastic. There we go. Um, no, yeah, so Penguin, what else can I do? What I've noticed, because I've only been here for a couple of days and I'm extremely jet-lagged, mm. but, but, but as far as I can tell, and people call me an observational comedian, and I, I, I generally, I mean, I don't, label myself that but that's what people call me and I've got, I've got an observation for you I think mm-hmm. this is pretty on point here I, th- I think you guys like coffee what, what about that yeah. for an observation oh, we, we love that coffee we had a, a discussion about it just yesterday actually there we Dr. go it was, that, do you that, not that, love that, it though oh my god I love it yeah. and, and, and ge- ge- genuinely it's the best coffee. We are very self-regarding about our coffee. It's so good. It yeah. is, I would argue, central to our identity. Yeah, it's a, in Melbourne. It, it's a, yeah, so co- you like coffee and you have to tell people yes. in, in toilets Do that, we? that... No, it's a different subject, don't okay. worry. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to tell people in toilets to not stand on the, on the toilet oh, to have what? a wee. That's the, that was the first thing that I witnessed when I came... In, yeah, well, I... our main train station as well has signs on the wall that says, please do not spit. What? Mm. They're spitting You're on the wall. Yes, yeah. exactly. You're animals, Melbourne. With a sophisticated coffee palette. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yes. With a ball of contradictions. <laughs> uh, what, what, is there anything that you're looking forward to 
doing it, it, I mean this is the problem mm. I have as a human being and the, the way that I am wired mm. is I um, I think it's quite a unique trait I don't look forward to anything yeah okay. uh, yeah <laughs> You, li- you live, in, live in the moment. Is that perhaps maybe, maybe that's a very positive. That's what what's what, that's what the meditation app would say <laughs> is that I'm living in the moment. No, I, I don't get excited and I don't look forward to doing anything and I don't really um, uh, enjoy doing things. Mm. Okay. <laughs> what about after, what about the show, I do the Sean? Show. Yeah, I do. I'll, yeah, I do the show. That's no, I know I... you'll do it, but do you enjoy it ever? <laughs> ever? <laughs> No, I enjoy it. Yes, I will enjoy it. I, yes, if people come. Yes. If people are listening and they want to come, then please come and I'll enjoy it. If they don't come, then no, I won't enjoy it. But um, no, I, uh, I'm very much someone that, that likes to not do things. <laughs> so that's how I kind of enjoy my time. I, I find that even, I don't know if you agree with me, but even having to do something that you, that you might even want to do, mm. that you would enjoy doing, but as soon as you have to do it, yeah. It's ruined for me. Mm. I think having to do anything ruins everything, mm. basically. Yeah. And, and my favourite thing in life is when something gets cancelled. <laughs> and, 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 uh, yeah, and, then, and then you don't have to do it. Yeah. That, for me, is the great pleasure in life. Is, is, in fact, I, I organise things just so they could be <laughs> cancelled and, and then I can get a nice hit. Was that, that a little bit liberating then, uh, the pandemic off the back Love of the pandemic? Yeah. Big fan. Well done, China. <laughs> well done. You did a great job. Big fan of not. Yeah, I had the best time, and I know you know people that it was difficult for a lot of people. Not me. No, had no. an amazing time. That's what life was meant to be like. Just doing nothing. Just doing nothing. It's, it's paradise. And we had amazing weather back home in the UK in lockdown one. And the big, how many lockdown lockdowns did you have? The most in it's the so world. Many. Did you? Yeah, we yeah. had six. I should have moved here. <laughs> Oh my god! That sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We so, uh, press daily press conferences. Yeah. Uh, it was a ritual. We're still really oh, recovering. Loved it. Mm. Are you? Oh well, uh, collectively yeah. I think. But this okay. is why the comedy festival and you in town is so important. You, you, a big, uh, you know, because a lot of people think that the 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 the, the you know lockdowns and COVID really changed. Society, people, the way we are. Do you guys individually? Do you feel? Aff- I feel like I'm interviewing you now, <laughs> yeah, yeah. all three of you. Do you feel affected? <laughs> by I feel like you're like assessing well, us well, and being like I, they don't seem right. Melbourne's work from home has been different to the rest of the world and the other states. We're doing more working from home. Yes, that's happened back. Yes, in, in yes. England as well. That's the big thing, isn't it? People work from home. Yeah, but comparatively, it's you know the offices are. Not as full. Have you done the thing where they've kept the the um, the QR code Codes, thing? No, on the... that's gone. Right, completely that's... gone. Yep. Good, well done. Because what they've done back in England is they've tried to be sneaky and just keep a couple of the things, exactly. the remnants of, of COVID in so that people don't have to do their jobs properly. Yes, yeah. precisely. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, there's, there's a few in- things like that where, you know, cash is not used as much anymore. And you... the de- it was the death of cash. It was the death mm. of cash. I'm happy about that. Yeah. How do people uh, tip or whatever at Edinburgh, or you know, for those shows, not yours, but the uh, ones where... The bucket. The bucket. How does that work? Oh, people, the comics, they get the card machine oh, thing. They've yeah. got There's the a card, card machine. machine and they leave and they preset it and then they, they shove it in your face and go, <laughs> give me five <laughs> oh, pounds. Wow. Extraordinary. Good on them. Yes. Yeah. Um, now, you're playing at Solidarity Hall. Can I just say before you... Sorry. Yeah. This is how lazy... The the the, the uh, contactless has made me is now mm. 
when you have to sometimes, you know, when you you can't do contactless and you have to put the card in and press the pin. Yeah, exhausting. It's like, what is going on? <laughs> What do you want me to do? Climb Kilimanjaro next? What is, what is this? It's too much. It's too much. Yes. Yes. Are you, are you doing a your ATM bit in Melbourne? <laughs> I, 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 I might, maybe. Okay, good. Yeah. I think we'll enjoy that. Uh, all right. Now, this show, I don't know what it's called anymore. No, no one does. Back I mean, from I the bed. It's back from the bed. It's back from the bed. It's on at Trades Hall all throughout the Comedy Festival. Opening shows tonight. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. How exciting. Oh, God. Uh, for you. Yes, exactly. Not for me. I'm just going to be there. Uh, get some rest. Sean Walsh, enjoy yourself, and thanks for being here. Thank you very much. Triple R. You've been listening to a podcast of the best bits of The Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with Breakfasters via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or via the Triple R website.